Welcome to the Clone Saga Chronicles uh, 2.0 feed for, from SpideyDude.com. If you're listening to one of these older episodes, you'll hear references to our Podomatic website and a voicemail number, which is now defunct. So if you're a new listener who just found this uh, podcast, pay no mind to the links that we give out, like CloneSagaChronicles.Podomatic.com or a voicemail number. Enjoy this classic episode of Clone Saga Chronicles. Whoa! I don't think I even want to hear your story. All of you must hear the Scarlet Spider story. I thought I was that clone. I tried to stay out of Peter's life by taking on a new identity. I dyed my hair and changed my name to Ben Riley. When I became a costume hero, the Scarlet Spider really made him angry. But the next big blow came from Dr. Kurt Connors. He discovered that, according to our genetic structures, it might be Peter who was the clone, not me. That news pushed Peter Parker over the edge. Now he hated me with a passion. This is starting to sound like a bad comic book plot. It gets worse. I'm the real Spider-Man. I don't know what kind of mind game this is, but I'm the real Spider-Man. The real Peter Parker. Welcome back, friends, enthusiasts, or people who just are curious about the Clone Saga. I'm, cl- is- I'm Clone Curious. <laughs> this is the Clone Saga Chronicles podcast, powered by Spidey.com. I'm your webmaster extraordinaire, Spidey Dude, a.k.a. Zach Joyner, which... I do realize it's not up right now, but we're working on it. It's about 85% done, so it should be up very, very soon, by like a few days. Joining me once again is the leading contributor to Spidey.com, Mr. Batoni Beetle, who has the Batoni Beetle Bonanza, the podcast all about the Beatles. hey and, and also joining us is the amazing Gerard Butler, or, I'm sorry, Gerard De La Tour, who is our reviewer for Spidey.com, and rounding hey. out the panel... And rounding out the panel is Mr. Brandon DP, a.k.a. B-Dog, the site designer. Welcome, guys. Hey. La. By the way, um, speaking of the Beatles podcast, um, day after this podcast is released, we're releasing the fifth anniversary episode, and I have um, a guest named Mr. Zachary Joyner on that episode, I think, for those who are interested. Yeah, so check that out. And um, so how's your week been, guys? Pretty good? Pretty good. Yeah. I, we got okay. the, uh, dude, I'm sorry. We got the uh, second issue of Clone Saga, the miniseries, which we'll be reviewing later on. We're also going to be hitting up this month, Back from the Edge, and... The Exile Returns. Thank you. Uh, parts one and two of each of each uh, arc. Uh, we'll be reviewing the latter two parts. Not this next episode, because we got something very special planned for the next episode, but the episode after that, we'll have parts three and four. We got a bit of news this last week, uh, mainly from the Wacker Tweetamentary. Mr. Steve Wacker is the editor of the Spider Titles, and he's basically ruled out the possibility of an ongoing Ben Riley series by saying that Ben Riley is a character that's better off dead. It kind of contradicts what's been said by Tom DeFalco and Howard Mackey. They said that if you buy the, the miniseries, you get more of a potential chance to have a Ben Riley ongoing. So, guys, I want to uh, hear your thoughts, uh, starting with Brandon. What, you, what do you think? It kind of pisses me off, because I really started to like Ben in the last few months, just reading over the Clone Saga issues. And like, even in Amazing, I thought he was portrayed okay in the flashbacks. So 
I was kind of looking forward to After Clone Saga, uh, just a Ben series, you know. Uh, yeah, kind of pissed me off. I think it's disappointing. Gerard, what are your thoughts? Well, I, I mean, it was kind of, I think it was a little bit wishful thinking to begin with that they would suddenly bring him back in some form or fashion for an ongoing, but I mean, uh, the fact that he says this isn't really, it, it doesn't, it confirms something that we kind of already knew from the sales of the first issue. I mean, it didn't exactly blow the doors off of the, the comic book ships. Which I'm, so, which I'm kind of surprised by, which we'll get, we'll get to that in a minute, but go ahead. Okay, yeah, but I mean, I, I think it was wishful thinking to begin with. It would have had to be a really huge blockbuster to actually justify a series, I think. Josh, what do you think? I don't think we need to be too worried yet. Um, I'm still going to go by what Tom DeFalco said, and that's if there's enough numbers, we still may see a miniseries. Uh, look, in a perfect world, this would have outsold Brand New Day, and but that's not the world that this is. Now, it didn't score like 0% either. It was low numbers, but I'm going to sound like a, an apologist here, but what are the typical numbers that you'd expect from just a regular Spider-Man miniseries? Like, what is what kind of numbers are we going to see from the Jackpot miniseries or the other miniseries that we've had the last few years? It's not a main title, like Amazing or something, that has yeah. that power to pull in those numbers. And somebody even said, I feel like I'm one of those people who defends Brand New Day's numbers. And but, Well, I mean, I mean uh, roughly speaking, uh, there was about 27,000 copies that were sold. Now, these are just estimates. Usually these are on, and according to the writers and artists, these are on the low side. Yeah. Uh, I tend to disagree, but um, I mean, these are the only numbers we have. We, we only have this 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 group of estimates and uh, sold about 27,000 copies. Uh, comparatively amazing sold 60,000 copies. Um, so roughly, I mean, roughly speaking, about half the customers that were buying Amazing Spider-Man are buying the, the Clone Saga Mini. Now, obviously... You know, it's not gonna. It's not. It's not a series that's for everybody. I, I've seen a lot. I've seen quite a bit of uh, negative reviews, mainly from. Uh, I went to the. I went to the Jinx World message board. Somebody gave it a point zero point one out of ten, which I think was grossly. Yeah, because because businesses because those guys are having some sort of authority. Um, uh, Love you, Brian Michael Bendis. Yeah. Uh, even even Andrew. Um, Cortez, who wrote the Life of Riley series, I think gave it a seven out of ten. I gave it a five for five, not only on this podcast but on the SpidermanCrawlspace.com uh, front page. Wait, you're on so, a Spider-Man podcast? I know, right? Inside this one? <laughs> yeah. You're cheating got- on us. You have another family. Yeah. Uh, and we actually have a female on that one, so. Oh well. <gasps> I know, right? I, I, I don't blame you. As long as she's not one of those bookworm types. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's nothing like a bookworm type. No, not at all. Oh, what is she? A hardcore rapper or something? Well, that too. Straight up. Uh, but like I say, 20, twenty-seven thousand uh, issues were sold last month. It was a little disappointing. I was expecting. I, I was. I mean, I was hoping for more, something a little more closer to the amazing books. But I mean, especially when I heard people were buying like four or five copies at their comic shop, giving them away. Uh, everybody that I had talked to on our on the message boards were had already purchased an issue. Um, so it's a little disappointing, but but hey, you know, could be worse. It, it could have sold. It, it could have been outsold by the uh, Venom Mini. Oh wait, ooh, that was yeah. low. Yeah, yeah. I actually low. looked on the. <clears throat> I actually looked on the top three hundred 
because I wanted to see what other miniseries debuted, you know, the same month that by Marvel that outsold it. And yeah. uh, this is interesting. It was outsold by the first issue of Ultimate Armor Wars, Marvel Zombies Return, Vengeance of the Moon Knight, and the Anti-Venom miniseries. Wow. Ouch. I think Spider-Girl yeah. was selling 16,000 copies an issue when she got canceled. I could be wrong. Yeah, that, that's about right. But the first issue, I actually wrote this one down, too. Amazing Spider-Girl number one actually sold about 47,000 copies, which is you know 20,000 more than this thing. Well, here's an idea. Okay, so this series is going well, but they're not sure if Ben Riley can support his own series. If only there was a book that they can give him a feature in where they can test the mm-hmm. waters out. I mean, well, what I did they... Like an anthology or something? Yeah. Marvel. You know, okay, okay, I'm saying this now. We need to write letters like, okay, let's get Ben Riley a feature in web. Seriously, we're all doing this. Um, so I think we should announce this now. When Spidey.com gets back up, we will start the letter writing campaign to get a feature on web. Now, uh, we'll give you the addresses and everything like that. I'll get the addresses uh, from the Spider Spider Girl campaign guys, and we'll campaign to have a regular feature with Ben Riley written by D. Mateus. I think it should be written by D. Mateus or Todd Falco, one or the other, or hell, even Howard Mackey, or even even who's the other guy? <laughs> there you go. What? Oh. What? No. Bring, bring back Terry Kavanaugh. No. I'm Absolutely not. I will not sell my soul to Mephisto for Ben Riley to have a series. Can have Frank Miller write it. Oh jeez. Get Robert Kirkman to write it. The city. It smells like my clone tank, wet and full of broken dreams. Yeah, because that's how Frank Miller writes. Anyway, Harry um, Chain's a hooker for some reason. Who the hell knows? Everybody's a hooker in Frank Miller stories. Uh, <laughs> um. So guys, let's get started on the reviews, and we're going to do things a little different this month, just a little. Um, we're going to have Bertoni, our rundowner extraordinaire. That's not even a word. That's cool. He's going to run down the he's going to run down the first two issues uh, back from the edge, which ran through Amazing Spider-Man three ninety five and Spectacular uh, Spider-Man two eighteen. Yeah, okay, there it is. Yeah. Spectacular Spider-Man 218, Amazing Spider-Man Volume 1, 395. So, Bertoni, give us a rundown of the first two chapters of Back from the Edge. Back from the Edge, yeah. So you're on the edge. How are you going to get back? Well, first you start, you take a little bit of Puma, you take a little bit of Nocturne. Now, Nocturne was some woman who got mutated into a bat-like creature. For some reason, by I think it was Baron Zemo, for some reason being a bat-like creature means that you can control and manipulate the emotions and feelings of other people. Never quite understood that, and Nocturne was never one of my favorite villains, but in any case, she's running around with Puma at the beginning of Back from the Edge, and Puma is a lot more primal than we're used to him being. He's he's attacking some criminals, and Nocturne is using her powers to make to make uh, one of the other criminals relive the pain of all of his victims, and he's wishing that instead of that, uh, Puma had just killed him to begin with. So, Spider-Man, not Peter, he's still in his Spider-Man costume because he's doing his I am the spider face. He's in Aunt May's house and he's looking around and he's having flashbacks and he's like, no, no, I am not Parker. I am only the spider. Well, while Peter's doing that, Mary Jane's actually in Pittsburgh and she's standing outside the house of her sister Gail, hesitating before knocking. Because remember, she flew to Pittsburgh uh, last month in Power and Responsibility. And Gail lets her in and uh, they hug. Now, Nocturne 
she's using her psychic juju powers, and she senses that Spider-Man's in a lot of pain, so her and Puma go to seek him out. Spider-Man is still on his flashback reality tour, and he's looking through the halls of Midtown High, remembering all of his emotions. No, I'm not. These are Parker's memories. I'm not Parker. I'm the spider now. And he's confronted by Nocturne and Puma. Now, he's a little confused because last time he saw Puma, Puma was shot and pretty much thought to be dead. And Puma unleashes his fury, and the spider unleashes his fury. But Nocturne tries to uh, kind of use her emotion juju on Peter to get him to come with her to the park. So they go to the park and talk, and it turns out she only wants to help him out because he had helped her out before. But he's not buying. He's like, and why even with Puma? He's a dangerous guy. So Nocturne explains that she found Puma dead of a gunshot wound or almost dead, and she used her emotional juju powers to bring him, quote-unquote, um, my words, not the issues, back from the edge and heal his tortured soul. And he's kind of followed her around like her little vicious Puma puppy dog ever since. But Puma sees Spider-Man, he's like, hey, I remember fighting him a bunch of times. So he goes really, really nuts, goes primal, and he attacks uh, Spider-Man and Nocturne. He does a very lethal scratch on Nocturne. And Spider-Man, who was starting to come around and be like, okay, you know, I'm going to do human stuff again. He goes back into I am the spider mode and attacks Puma, which leads us into the second part in Spectacular, where the Puma and the spider fight for a bit. But Puma gets overwhelmed when he realizes that he hurt Nocturne with his vicious claws, and he kind of runs away. So Spider wonders if he should be the spider and follow Puma, or if he should use listen to his human side and take Nocturne to the hospital, because there's still an ounce of Peter Parker in him somewhere. You obviously see he's carrying Nocturne, trying to figure out where to take her. Uh, he doesn't think that the hospital can help her, and he can't take her to Ravencroft sometimes, so he decides to try the apartment that she lived in when she was human. So while he's on his way to the apartment, he just misses another web-slinger who's swinging in the other direction. That would be uh, our dear old clone, Ben Riley in a Scarlet Spider outfit, which we're going to explain how he got that later in the podcast. Puma is still roaming free like a vicious dog. He sees some criminals about to attack the woman, and he scares them away. And he's about to attack the woman, but it gives him flashbacks of how he hurt Nocturne, who was so friendly to him in the past. So he basically runs away with guilt again. So Spidey takes Nocturne to her whole apartment, but he sees that there's a new family living there, and they're building a crib. Ooh, foreshadowing. So Spider-Man goes through this whole thing, wow, I guess life moves on while we're gone, and I guess I can't expect everyone to wait around for me while I am the spider. And speaking of people waiting around for him, we have a scene in the hospital with Aunt May and Anna Watson, and she's basically talking to the comatose May, telling her all she did, and she doesn't have to fight anymore, she led a good life. Why don't you just pull the plug already, Aunt Anna? You know what? You just want to be the leading aunt in the book. That's what it is. So Spider-Man has no choice, so he just stays on the roof of the apartment building with Nocturne when she wakes up. And all she's worried about is Puma, which just disgusts him, but she uses her emotion juju power to make him realize that he's concerned too. We then have some pages with Mary Jane and Gale, and they're burying the hatchet. Uh, even though they kind of made up years ago for the stuff that happened between Mary Jane and her family, I guess that there's still some sour grapes there. Well... While searching for a nocturne, they swing by Daredevil. Peter doesn't think that uh, Daredevil's Matt Murdock at this point, because Matt Murdock had faked his death, and Daredevil was wearing a new outfit. 
That's some more foreshadowing for uh, next month, although not next month on the podcast. They find Puma, and Nocturne cannot control her calm him anymore, and he viciously attacks them both. Mary Jane and Gail talk about making peace with their father when Kevin, one of Gail's children, who's, by the way, de-aged about five years since we last saw him, wakes up from a nightmare, and the Watson sisters go ahead and, con- and comfort him. So Nocturne, back to that, goes between the two fighters and uses her emotional juju power to make them experience each other's pain. And that's enough to make Puma turn back into Thomas Fireheart and uh, to make Peter realize that Thomas Fireheart probably deserves a second chance. So after much deliberation in his head, he lets Thomas Fireheart wander off, even though he's guilty of murder, among other things. So Nocturne flies away, and Peter's like, wait, I'll take you to Ravencoff, and you'll get help. And she's like, no thanks. And he's like, well, why won't you even try and get help? And then she's like, why don't you? And that ends our first two parts of Back from the Edge. I'll, uh, I'll start off with the uh, with my thoughts. i tell you right now, the reading these books, again, Salvi Sima and Mark Bagley were, I think, the two stronger artists. Uh, between the two, as much as I like Stephen Butler's work on web, Tom Lyles was always hit and miss with me. I mostly like most of his stuff, but for, for, for this particular month, we had a lot of uh, a lot of good artwork between the spectacular and amazing issues. Uh, I think Mark Bagley is, I think, one of the best fighter artists not named Romita. In fact, I think he is the best Spider-Man artist not named Romita. Excellent work on on the artwork side. Uh, Sabi Sima is just just. Fantastic. Freaking fantastic. The writing, <laughs> had it been anybody but DeMatteis De and DeFalco, uh, this wouldn't have worked. <laughs> Back from the Edge would have not worked at all had it not been driven by uh, by DeMatteis and amazing. Because honestly, most people would be bored. Uh, DeMatteis knows how to, definitely knows how to, how to get into the psyche of, of, of his characters better than probably anybody else that I know of. It's it's an excellent, excellent uh, character study into the, into the psyche of Peter Parker. Because remember, I mean, Peter Parker at, at this point was still the spider. And one of the things that people and readers saw how ridiculous that was, and they slowly were like, hey, can we, can we get past this? Because we're all scratching our heads a little bit. I, I give this, I'll give each individual issue a grade. I think A, from our amazing issue, because... I think it was better written. The spectacular issue was pretty well written, but I just, I don't know, I wasn't a terribly big fan of it. So as such, I'm going to give that a B. Uh, the artwork was solid. I give the artwork an A on both accounts, but the, uh, but the writing was a little bit more, less, was a little bit less as, it wasn't, as, it wasn't as good as amazing. So I'm going to give it a B. Gerard, what are your thoughts? I, my thoughts are, I think you just read off of my, my note sheet over here. I also have an A for Amazing and a B for Spectacular. I, I have to get this out of the way right now. I, I'm a little biased with Amazing 395 because this is one of the first Spider-Man books I ever bought. And uh, as a, when I was a kid, I used to always try to copy Bagley's art out of this issue. At, like Every artist always seems to begin by copying their favorite you know, with comics. And this was the one that I copied. This, this, is my, uh, this is what I was trying to be when I was a kid as an artist. Um, so the art was was great, um, and like you said with the writing, he juggles a couple of plot threads and is able to sort of put the characters together logically, but yeah. in a way that helps his character study. I mean, it it makes sense 
in a way that Nocturne and Puma would be drawn to him the way they are. And the sort of, um, I don't know what you would call it, the weird family dynamic that they have going for a, for a short period of the story was very, very interesting to look at. So uh, that one gets an A out of me. The Spectacular issue, again, like, I'm going to give it a B just like you did. Uh, ni- very nice art by Sal Bissama, which, by the way, um, this issue was the last time he inked his own pencil. I actually looked that one up because I was curious. Because uh, later on, throughout most of the Clone Saga, he was inked by Wilson Kevich and uh, mostly Jimmy Palmiotti and John Stanisi. So this is the last time, I think, uh, ever we saw Sal Bissama ink, ink his own pencil. Because shortly afterwards, I don't think he was a penciler much longer beyond this. But um, uh, he was he was a he was a penciler pretty well through. He left during the Ben Riley era. That that's what so. I uh, sorry I didn't make that clear. That's that's what I meant. I mean, yeah. after the Clone Saga and the period where he's being inked by Sinkavich and these other guys, I don't think after that he was a penciler anymore. Am I, or am I wrong about that? Um, he has done a couple of, uh, he, I, I think he mostly retired, and it was kind of weird how he, uh, and we'll get to this later on in the, in, throughout the show, as the show progresses, but, but, uh, Busima, he left in the middle of an arc, and, uh, Luke Ross, who, uh, we'll talk about more next month, he took over after Busima and finished out the run of Spectacular Spider-Man. This volume of Spectacular Spider-Man, I should say, because it, the, the title did reappear later on in, uh, earlier this decade. Bishima, yeah, he has not, um, he's not, he's mostly stuck to inking, and he's only done inking, it seems like, he, he did, I think he did, I think he penciled an issue of the Century, parts of the Century book, um, but other than that, I don't think he did anything else. So, I'll, I'll look it up and I'll, I'll get back to you when we get to that point. That's a good question, okay. Gerard, and if, uh, any, if any readers, have any uh, have that, that answer for us? Uh, you can you can uh, leave it in an iTunes review. Where is Sal Buscema? Yeah, what happened to him? What okay. was his motive? Okay, oh, Jordan, yeah. were, you, were you done with your thoughts? I uh, just wanted to add one more thing about the, the spectacular issue that I really enjoyed was a uh, Mary Jane. The scenes with Mary Jane, she was very much an adult here, and uh, I, I thought this was a great uh, sort of the high point of her sort of development from being the party girl character she was when she was introduced to being this adult who sat down with her sister and hashed things out, whether or not that was in continuity or whatever is, you know, beyond our conversation, I guess. But that was nice to see. The only reason this doesn't get an A from me is because I thought the ending was kind of nonsensical to this issue, to the point where I just sort of wondered why Nocturne simply didn't work her juju magic on Puma earlier to revert him from his feral yeah. state. <laughs> it, just, it just seemed like a, it was thrown in there at the last second. Yeah, I think it but was yeah. kind of like, oh, we're running out of pages. We need to get this yeah. re- resolved pretty quickly. Quick, go Juju. <laughs> uh, Bertoni, what do you think? I uh, liked it somewhat, but, I mean, as you can hear by my condescending tone, Nocturne and her magic Juju powers, I it, it fit what they were trying to do with the story. It definitely did, and I do like how you know, as an overall arc in Peter Parker's life, they're not just having him snap back to it and being going from I am the spider of the, okay, things are back to normal. We're seeing a progression of him going back to his own mental state, which I do like. Uh, for part one, I mean, once again, from the first page, it's like, oh, okay, yep, this is Dematteis. Um, I do find it interesting that when he's at Midtown High, 
he says, oh, yeah, I was 16 when I was bit. Cause, and I'm not going to say that that's Dematase's mistake, because that's just something that lots of writers do. They switch him from 15 to 16, back and forth a lot. And it was never established what his original age was during the Amazing Fantasy 15 or the Lee Dicko era until much later. So uh, for part two, I like to return of Gale. And like I said before, yeah, she and Mary Jane did kind of make up. And I can understand how even after a few years, you still have that resentment, though, when they need to make up. We've seen Mary Jane go to Gale's at other points in the series, like once when Venom was in town, Peter sent her to Gale's house as if they were on okay terms. So I don't know, but that's okay. I mean, I really like the dynamic of Mary Jane's family. So, And because of the stuff going on with her father that we're going to see later, it makes sense. Uh, I do find it weird that Kevin, who last time we saw him, him and his brother, even when they first appeared, they were in upper elementary school age. He, he's drawn like he's a preschooler here. And by parts yeah. two, I was tired of all the... Oh, go ahead. Uh, well, I mean, I mean that happens with throughout comics, though. I mean, kids are re- de-aged and then accelerated aged and then... Frank, Frank, poor Franklin Richards. Yeah. He's like, what's going on? I went through puberty just 50 issues ago. Why am I? Why am I in first grade? <laughs> he was an adult for an issue, right? He was an adult that's, for that's... for a good half of Defalco's run. Yeah, yeah that's true. He, he was. Uh, um, I got tired of some of the emotional stuff, not just the emotional juju stuff, but like just that stuff in general. Um, and I understand its character arc and everything, but after reading this and reading uh, uh, the Exile Returns, it really like they re- you really see how they're hitting you over the head with some of this stuff, and I think it could have been played down. But listen, for part one, amazing, you know, even though you can tell it's Demetrius with all the psychobabble stuff and, you know, but the yeah, bag- but nobody does psychobabble better than Demetrius. Yeah, I mean, even though there's that, it's still good and I like Bagley, but, you know, this Puma and Nocturne stuff and Puma's never a character I cared for too much. I'm going to give it a B minus. Yeah. Uh, for Spectacular. Bishima's art isn't it's it's he's a really good artist and I love some of his issues but it just isn't working here I don't know what it is and I mean there's just some nonsensical stuff and once again the magic juju I'm gonna have to give this a C plus maybe wow yeah wow okay (laughs) uh Brandon what are your thoughts Okay, well, I'm probably going to be the one in the greatest or lowest out of everybody, but... Okay, so, um, ASM is spectacular. Back from the Edge, part one and two. Okay, so, for ASM, I... It was a kick-ass cover. I really liked it. Um, but Puma looks like the Jackal. He he doesn't well, look like uh, previous incarnations. Foreshadowing! <laughs> well, I mean, uh, that that's because he's more feral. That's the yeah, I yeah, I, I guess. Well, they should call him Lynx instead of Puma, because they look more like he did. Yeah. But um, uh, one thing is, like, uh, a Nocturne and Puma, that their relationship reminds me, like, you guys remember Spidey's doppelganger from Maximum Carnage? And Shriek, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it, that's exactly what it reminded me of. Or e- even, if not Shriek, um, Calypso and the Lizard. From uh, McFarland's run on Spider-Man, it's a great, it's a great yeah. uh, observation. My Spider-Man villainesses really like, um, really like, a, a, yeah, and feral creatures. Yeah. So um, uh, I, di- I didn't love that. Uh, 
Well, one thing I really did like in ASM was uh, when Spidey was going back to old uh, landmarks, like when he was went back to Midtown and when he was just chilling in his house and he was seeing, like, the ghosts uh, or, like, the memories. I, I like that. Yeah. I'm glad you like it because there's a lot, because you're going to enjoy a lot of what's coming up soon because they're going to hit that one over the head. Oh, wait, you mean they get repetitive uh, with some things in the Clone Saga? Wow. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. Anyway, um, I didn't really know who Angela Karen was until they explained it. Like, did she appear in uh, past issues or? Yeah, she's she, she's been around for a little bit. She wasn't a major Spider-Man villain, but um, there was an annual where uh, she and Spider-Man uh, he tried to help her. I mean, she's okay. she she's an, just another forgettable '90s person, unfortunately. Okay. Yeah. Um, she, I think she only made an appearance. She made an appearance in the Spectacular Annual, I think, a couple years before this came out, written, I believe, by Mate- Mateus, And then she didn't appear after that until, I think, this, this issue. I'll have to look that up, but I'm pretty sure I'm right. And also the art and colors for this issue were really nice, but uh, my grade's going to be a C. Okay. Uh, for, for Spectacular Spidey, um, Tom and Sal are like a really, really good team. And the cover is awesome, and... I like the cover's Puma look better than the actual story's Puma look. Oh, uh, one thing that really bugs me is uh, when Peter's always like, oh, I am the spider. Uh, I'm not Peter Parker anymore. That, that just kind of bugs me. Like, I, I don't like that. I, I don't think a lot of people like that. They were. This was basically them trying to get everything tied up and, and everything oh, like okay. that. That was, that was made to suck. Uh, that was, that, the whole point of this arc was to get Peter, back, Peter Parker out of the funk because people were like, dude, seriously, you're beating us over the head with a spider thumb. Yeah, there was a complaint that the books were way too dark right before uh, stuff, right before the Clone Saga. So this was them trying oh, okay. to get him out of his funk. Okay. Um, also, one thing about the Spectacular Spider-Man issue was uh, I hated the coloring. It had no depth. It was all just dark. Thank you. There was no light color. Yeah, the, and as as the resident colorist on on the on the show, I mean, you know a thing or two about coloring, and I I, I won't disagree with that, Brandon, because I I um I think it was the the colors were very mute, very yeah, muted. Yeah, I, I think, there was no I mean, light. They weren't dynamic at all. I agree with that. Uh, there was also some uh, uh, hero cameos in it. There was the Ben appearance, uh, and that was kind of cool. I like that when he was like, "Why can't I be two places at once?" Because I don't think he knows that Ben's still alive. Nope. Does he? No, he doesn't. Okay. He's not. He's not aware of anything that Ben's doing right now. Okay, so that was cool. Um, also, uh, the Daredevil Daredevil appearance was cool. Um, what, did Matt Murdock really die back then? He faked his death. Yeah, that was that was a point where uh, where basically Daredevil. I think it was three hundred. I think or four hundred. One or the other. He had to take his death because his identity got exposed, and then they eventually resolved that with him basically faking his death and getting this new cool 90s costume. And then. And by cool new 90s, you mean horribly ugly, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, cool <laughs> being, being in quotes there, my friend. Um, this was the first issue where you, you were like, really? Because that's not fun at all. Daredevil, just to go on a side note for a moment, even before Bendis did the whole, like, Daredevil's identity getting exposed thing, Daredevil's identity got exposed a lot over the years. 
uh, it was outed in the Silver Age and then disproven, and then like later on, sometime in the Bronze Age, someone went on TV and said Matt Murdock was Daredevil, but then they did a whole like Daredevil appears with Matt Murdock thing. Then, you know, someone found out in the 80s, then obviously, uh, born, I mean, Daredevil, his identity got exposed a lot. Iron Man also, right? I mean, these two guys can't keep a secret. Yeah, at all. At all. These guys cannot keep a secret at all. It's, it's, it's kind of sad. And that concludes the first two parts of Back from the Edge. We'll review the second two parts, not this episode, but the next episode after that. And, uh, or I mean the next, the episode after the following one, the one following this one. Makes somewhat sense. But, um, Anyway, we uh, two episodes before the episode after last episode. Why do you gotta do that? Everybody's like thinking about it in their head, like they're counting <laughs> on their fingers. It was so mustard. Not not this next episode, but the one following that episode. So episode five, basically. Episode five, we'll get the the latter- Empire Strikes Back. Those are, that will be the latter two parts of Back from the Edge, and we'll also have the latter two parts of. The Exile Returns, which ran through Web of Spider-Man number 118 and Peter Parker, what will later become Peter Parker, Spider-Man number 52. And to kind of tell you why why the months are split up like this, I think they were trying to do a test run of Ben Riley getting his own series. And uh, at this point, you've got um, these two story arcs running at the same time. And... um, Ben Riley had the Web of Spider-Man book and the Adjectiveless Spider-Man book. They were the two lower-selling titles, and um, Spectacular Amazing were the ones that had been well-established, so you had Peter Parker and those two. So, basically, you, you got uh, the first two parts of Exile Returns, which Bertone is going to give the rundown of, because it features of two very important milestones in, this, in, in the Clone Saga. Bertone, take it away. Okay, well, Ben's at a museum about spiders, and he's giving a general recap, and basically every other thought balloon in this issue is, oh, wow, I remember I remember walking down those steps. Oh, wait, I don't. That's Peter. I'm a nobody. Hey, that smells like waffles. I used to – no, Peter used to love waffles. Oh, cool. This, it, like, it's like that for everything. And he right now, he's ready to leave New York, and he's feeling down. While he's in the museum uh, for the spider exhibit, he does see – for some reason, there's a spider hoodie in the gift shop for the museum. Do you ever go to museums and they have hoodies of whatever exhibit there is? Yeah, yeah. Been there. Okay, well, then that just makes – I don't know. I just found that weird. But the blue uh, spider hoodie, which will later become very, very important for the spider mythos. A robbery almost makes him go into action, but Paul Blart, museum cop, saves the day instead. And Ben's wondering how long it'll be before he can no longer avoid going into action. Well, Venom's back in town, and he returned because he heard about the Ravencroft stuff going on last month, and he thought that Carnage was going to get out of Ravencroft, so he went there to stop him. Now he's just kind of hanging around doing what he can. He interrupts a high-speed chase, sending the car into the water as the cops try and stop him. Then he goes to the building where Gene DeWolf was murdered and begins to have mixed emotions about his past, just like Peter did, just like Ben did, just like Mary Jane did. Betty Brant goes to visit Aunt May at the hospital and has a very weird conversation with Anna Watson, which I guess I'll get into a little more during the run now, but Anna's like, oh, yeah, you know, 
you know, she always hoped that you and Peter would get together. Oh, it's like, oh, if only Peter had married you instead of my niece. And Ben's spying on them through the window, and he's like, oh, wow, Betty Brandt, and who he hasn't seen in years, and he's still very reluctant to leave Aunt May behind. Then he confronts his past by going to the warehouse where Spider-Man first fought the burglar. No, not me, Spider-Man. I'm not a man. I'm a clone. So Venom has decided that he's going to have to kill Carnage to avoid all this stuff happening again, but he's really conflicted about it. Yes, Venom is conflicted about killing Carnage. And if you've read any of the other Venom Carnage issues in the past, you'll see why this is really confusing. So he goes to the church where he first found the symbiote and almost committed suicide and thinks about his past, just like Ben Riley did at the warehouse and... And Venom did earlier at Gene DeWolf's place, and Peter did at Midtown High, and you, you, you noticing a theme here at all? Yeah. You know, but it, 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 for me, it was getting a little old at this point. And he barely misses an unnamed reporter, who we're later going to be introduced to as Ken Ellis. This is actually his first appearance, who happens to be investigating Venom. So, while brooding on the Brooklyn Bridge, yes, Ben goes to another This Is Your Life tour. He sees a woman on top of the bridge about to commit suicide. How the woman got up there, I have no clue. It's a little unclear if she accidentally slipped or if she actually did go through with it and jump. But he saves her from falling and takes her to the hospital. She's passed out, so the secret is safe. But he does tell the doctors that Spidey saved her. He hears on the radio about Venom returning to New York, and then he realizes that New York has just way too much trouble in it to let him leave. So he goes back to the museum to pick up something very important. What is it? What is it? Then to his motel slash efficiency, and dons the Scarlet Spider costume for the first time to go after Venom. That's what happens in Web of Spider-Man uh, number 118. We're led to believe that he had a little side adventure in between this and Spider-Man issue 52, but we'll get into that later. We get a bigger introduction to Ken Ellis. Uh, he kind of gives us a rundown of who he is. He wants to replace Yurik as a star reporter at the Bugle, and this Venom story is going to do it for him. When he's outside looking for Venom, uh, after talking to one of his tipsters, Scarlet Spider confronts him about the whereabouts of Venom, and he's like, hey, I'll tell you where he is if you give me an interview with you and Venom. And he's like, uh, whatever. Okay, that's good enough for me. He's at... Well, then he gives him Venom's location. So... Venom is giving exposition on his current status quo to himself and the New Yorkers, and he can't figure out why everybody's shooting at him when he isn't really trying to hurt everyone. He just can't figure out why. On the roof, an unseen shadowy figure watches. Ben reaches Venom, who thinks that he's Spider-Man at first. You know, he's in the Scarlet Spider costume swinging around, but then realizes that he isn't, and Ben did not account for how strong and fast Venom is, and he's really losing this fight. Only the interruption of the shadowy figure, who's revealed in the span of, like, a page or two, it's the yellow symbiote scream, saves the day. She's trying to warn Venom about the cops coming and trying to kill him, and because she wants Venom's help in learning to control the symbiote. He responds by ignoring the Scarlet Spider and then trying to kill her. Ken arrives at the scene, and this is one of the weirder parts. He begins narrating the fights in the form of him taking notes as if it's a prose news story. Then he realizes that he's being corny. Ben is about to flee, thinking, you know what? I'm not a man. I'm a clone. I can't do anything. But he sees people in trouble, and his instincts kick in, and he saves them. And he realizes that he does need to stick around, even though his wounds from Venom are killing him. So he gets in the middle of the uh, Scream and Venom fight, Scream was the name of that symbiote, and pushes Venom into the ocean below, who manages to grab Scream to go down there with him. 
Ben thinks about, okay, I really need to leave New York. The public are all adoring him, which is a rarity for someone in a Spider-Man costume. Oh, my hero! And Ken begs for an interview, but Ben swings off as Ken Ellis, via Thought Balloon, dubs him the Scarlet Spider. Yeah. And that's the end of uh, the first two parts of The Exile Returns. Yeah. Bertone, give us your thoughts. We'll, we'll start with you this time. Okie dokie. Well... Cover's awesome for the Web of Spider-Man issue, and we were talking about before, Stephen Butler, he really is a forgotten Spider-Man writer, and it's probably just because he was on Web, and Web was, you know, the ugly stepchild of all the Spider-Man titles. Yeah, yeah it was the one title that never really found its way. Okay. So, Tony, hey, Brad, Adam Brandon. What? Adam Brandon. Why are we whispering? I don't know. Okay. I like telling secrets. <laughs> so... Maximum Carnage, that whole storyline is Spider-Man trying to hold Venom back from murdering Carnage. Yeah. Now now he's conflicted. I don't know if I want to kill Carnage. Now, granted, this was when they were putting Venom through his anti-hero phase, so they were softening him up a little bit. So I guess they had to stick with that characterization a little bit. But it's really jarring if you've ever read a Venom and, you know, Carnage appearance before. And, of course, even Venom – I mean, they had Mary Jane doing it. They had – Peter and Ben doing it. Now Venom is going around, oh, this is where Gene DeWolf died. Oh, I'm so haunted by my past. Oh, am I really a man? It's like, okay, I get it. You're trying to show us parallels and how everyone's the same, but... And the bridge rescue. How did she get up there? <laughs> and, I mean, of course, you know, we're going to be going back to the bridge a few times this clone. How did she get up there? Seriously. How? Well, um... And she's like, she looks, she looks like she's in her pajamas. She just Maybe she slept walking. She wasn't really suicidal. Yeah. That's probably what it was. <laughs> but, you know, uh, Ken Ellis' first appearance, and he's kind of a character who d- didn't really stick around too long after the Clone Saga. Nobody really cared about him that much. But during the Clone Saga, he was uh, important enough Daily Bugle reporter, and he dubbed Ben Riley the Scarlet Spider. So yeah. I do like the web issue. So for Web of Spider-Man issue 118, I'm going to say I give it an A. We didn't have any of that emotional juju stuff, even with Nocturne, even though they did have their whole emotional, oh, this is your life story stuff, and oh, I'm, I'm conflicted about killing Con- It was still an enjoyable issue. And for uh, Spider-Man issue 52, well, Ken talks out loud to himself a lot, especially in the first few pages. Yeah. And uh, that one cop... When uh, when the villains are all fighting with Scarlet Spider, he's like, oh, yeah, let's let them duke it out. We'll pick up the pieces. What a bad cop. <laughs> and I was saying before, like, this is the first of the whole mystery shadowy figure, except this time it turns out to be uh, 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 Scream. And I thought it was Kane coming in early. I was like, I thought Kane came in later. But nope, it was Scream. So uh, Tom Lyle, I like his art. I didn't like it as much this issue around, but... And of course, you know, every other thing of Ben is I'm not a I'm not a man. I'm a clone. I'm a clone. P- P- Peter doesn't that that's Peter's memory. That's not mine. Yeah. That's that's I- I'm nothing. Let me go. Let me, yeah. I mean, it, but I, I see what they're doing. They have to establish the character. They have to give the exposition. Ken Ellis's little prose writing thing was weird, but this was still enjoyable. Um I think that scream being thrown in there was a little eh. Whatever. 90s. Yeah, it's 90s. It's symbiotes. But you know what? I'll I'll still give it an A because it didn't like... Her being thrown in there was eh, but it wasn't, ew, this sucks. Burning on fire, I hate you. 
so what's your grade of uh, 52 again? I A and an A. Okay, so two A's. Uh, Gerard, what do you think? Wow, I, I couldn't disagree with you more, man. I'm giving, I'm giving this a pair of, uh, pair of D's on this one. Wow. Um, yeah. Okay. I, I really, I really did not like this, the these, this story. Um, for, for one, I mean, the pros for the Web of Spider-Man, I'll say, you're right about Stephen Butler. He does draw a really great Ben, rather really nice Venom. Um, again, very Bagley-esque, but that's, that's not a bad thing, trust me. Um, as far as cons, I, but I, I thought it was all over the place, to be honest with you, pacing-wise. I mean, and hashing all these old scenarios, it, it, it was just, a, I didn't like it at all. It didn't do much for me. The action sequences themselves were a little hard to follow, partially because they were so sort of quick-paced, but then also because the butler, I think, was a little... I mean, he was he was diving into the deep end. This is the second issue he drew of the title, and here you have a fight with Venom, and Venom fighting cars and stuff. It's crazy. Um, Spider-Man number 52, I'm going to give a D-minus also, because, I mean, from from a good standpoint, it was nice to see Ken Ellis sort of as a um, focus of the storyline. Not so much in the way that, like, say, uh, Phil Sheldon was in Marvel, but as a framing element, I thought that was an interesting way to approach the story. But, I mean, Ben was a complete whiner, and, and this had a lot of the same problems that the other one did. I, I just, I wasn't interested in Scream. I don't know what she added to the story. and It was not subtle at all. I, I didn't like it at all. D minus on me. Wow. I could not disagree with you more. I'm going to give these two an A. Uh, number one, if there is an iconic cover to the Scarlet Spider, it would be the cover of 119. A little background on the Scarlet Spider's um, uh, actual production. It was actually designed by Tom Lyle, the artist for uh, Web of Spider-Man. Web of Spider-Man. <laughs> Adjective with Spider-Man number 52. So that's a fun fact for you. Um, and it wasn't supposed to last. Uh, the Scarlet Spider moniker was actually not supposed to last either. I, I like the fact that they kind of dove in head first and gave him his, uh, arguably his, his biggest enemy in Venom and had him taken on the first time and get his butt kicked. I mean, the first, first go around, he got his butt kicked. Um, Ken Ellis, I like as a character. I thought he was, I, I, I think that the reason why they brought him in is that he was supposed to be basically, um, the Scarlet Spider's been Yurik. And I think that that's why they brought him in and had him such be a, such a focus of issue 52. Um, the cover to 52, I don't like as much as I do of Web of, uh, Web of Spider-Man. I don't, I don't like the way Venom's drawn in that one. I've never been a huge fan of the way, uh, Tom Lyle, uh, drew Venom and everybody, but I'll accept it because it's, it's just merely okay. Um, and this is really odd to point out, but I love the little swinging Scarlet Spider in the top corner of the cover. I really do like that. That, that just that, and I like the whole. Uh, I think it's on the unlimited cover. Let me look. That um, you have both the Scarlet Spider and, and, and Peter standing back to back. I love that little little icon on the on the, on the left hand corner of the unlimited book. Honestly, this this uh, the reason why I get it is an A because it's a great setup for what's to come. Number one, you got the foreshadowing with the hoodie. You've got Ben, he's still trying, as a character, he's still trying to figure out, I mean, yeah, they kind of beat you over the head with it, with uh, 
I'm just a clone. I'm not a man. But I think at this point in character, in the character, you have him struggling to come to terms with his um, humanity, and it kind of contradicts what we see later as what happened beforehand. Um, honestly, I think that this this book. Um, I mean, it's a perfect setup for, for what happens later. I absolutely love the art by Stephen Butler. Stephen Butler is actually one of my favorite spider artists, and this this issue really sold it to me. I actually could not find this issue in a comic shop. I had to get it via the Scarlet Spider action figure that the, there was a Spider-Man Classics line that came with the comic book, and that's how I got this issue. And so uh, it does have a little bit of nostalgia, nostalgia to me, uh, so I think that does take into account why I like it, and, and I think it's just a great introduction to, to Ben's character. Brandon, what do you think? Okay, I hear you rustling um, over there. <laughs> uh, okay, I'm going to give these two issues an A, too, because I really like them. Uh, I like Ben, but he always complained in this issue. I guess that's why a lot of people um, kind of didn't find him whiny. Um, he also had those sunglasses at the beginning. Kind of pissed me off. It was kind of funny. Why did um, it piss you off? Oh no! It's it, it, it just it it just reminds me of like uh, what does it remind me? Of? Um, uh, Bertoni was it John Lennon who had the glasses in the Beatles or? Yeah, yeah, John Lennon then. My mic was um, muted, but yeah, John Lennon. Yeah, so it kind of it, it didn't piss me off per se, but it just bugged me a bit. Uh, um. I thought it was a good portrayal of Ben though and what he's feeling. Like if I was a clone, I'd probably think the same same way. So I'm assuming uh, that the glasses were supposedly so that nobody would recognize him and say, "Hey, Peter, what's up?" Because I yeah. guess he feels he needs to be in disguise when he's in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, also, it's Venom a small world after all. Yeah, true. Also, a uh, Venom lethal protector, like when he's uh, supposedly saving all the innocents. Ah. Uh, I liked him better when he was just causing trouble. Oh, um, the Spidey landmarks and like uh, how he saves the girl on the bridge—that was a nice touch. I like that. Oh, and why is he going after Venom? Well, because I think he he feels like it's his responsibility, and he doesn't understand why Peter does it. And I think it's supposed to contrast the fact that Venom, Peter, and Venom never actually—he never was actually ever, ever able to to round him up. Since since that second time that they fought, so I mean they had that little stupid pact, and I think it was kind of um, grossly out of character. I think that's what the writers were thinking, and that's why they had him go after Venom to kind of bring him in. Yeah, okay. he, he went after. I mean, the in-story reason was is that he heard over the radio that Venom was causing trouble, and he probably felt his. I mean, if it would have said over the radio that somebody was causing trouble over in New Jersey, we probably would have had Ben go to New Jersey because he has the Peter Parker guilt that if anything is happening bad to someone anywhere, he's got to go after it. Yeah, yeah true, it, true. It, I, I also don't think he's aware of the fact that they have a truce, right? <laughs> no, he, he no, doesn't. No, he's not. Um, also, um. I like the reporter, Ken Ellis. It was the first time I'd have ever seen him before. I thought that was kind of cool, too. Um, I don't like, uh, I think it's Scream, the symbiote. Yeah. Um, I, I, I didn't like that. I, yeah. I, like, I think her inclusion was just kind of kind of off the wall. I'll yeah. agree with that. That's kind of one, the one thing that would bring 
that down. I didn't bring it, give it an A plus. I just gave it a straight A because of Scream. I mean, Scream as a character, she's kind of useless, and she's the only. At one point, they had what was it, five or six symbiotes that were spawns yeah. besides Carnage, and it was basically it was. Um, she was the only surviving one, and then they made a video game out of it. Yeah, yeah. separation anxiety. Um, I think that was the miniseries as well, and, and they were, she was a crap character. She didn't really need to be in the story. I think it was just I think it was just an excuse to draw draw a symbiote with boobs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I liked it a lot, and it also set up some really good story elements um, to come. I guess foreshadowing stuff. So that was yeah. cool. It's kind of it's kind of hard to um, basically it's kind of hard to talk about this story because you're only getting the first two parts, and it's better as an arc. But we're trying to do this month by month, so it's kind of I mean, so we'll be able to talk a little bit more about like the screen character and and the full arc, and we'll we'll talk more about that um, next month on the show. Um, I don't think Scream returned in the I think that. That she supposedly died. I, I could be wrong. It's been a little while since I read it, but I thought she came back in in the, in the web issue. I thought she came back in one nineteen. I could have sworn she came back in one nineteen. Maybe. So it, I, I specifically remember reading that. I, I thought I remembered uh, Ben killing her, but that could be a lie. I don't think Ben killed her. I'm not sure. I'm then I'm Ben. Phantom. Phantom. Eddie. Oh, you know what? Yep, I'm looking. Yep, she makes an appearance in 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 web one nineteen. Thank you. I am the clone expert here. Come on. No, no, you—that's you, that, your little revenge for me basically spanking you that whole first episode. Freaking first episode, I got destroyed. Um, yeah, maybe, a lot maybe, more than what was in the actual final cut. Yeah, I got yeah about thirty minutes of him like, no, no, you suck, you suck at life, you suck at life. So that's my little revenge. Basically, I want to hit up the wet. We've kind of referenced the unlimited issue. There's not a whole lot that happens in this issue. Um, part of the reason this issue even exists was that. Uh, one of the big, big things was Tom Lyle, who was the artist for uh, Adjectiveless Spider-Man, really wanted to write. He wanted to become a writer-artist. I honestly think the reason why, and I, I, I don't know, I haven't, but I, this is me making an assumption. The reason why uh, Tom Lyle even got this, basically, he was, you know, wanting to go to Image, I think. And so this was kind of, and he kind of twisted Marvel's arm, and they had this unloaded book, so let's give him a trial run. And, um, so Tom Lyle wrote the story. It's called Second Rate Choices. He writes the story. Ron Lim does the breakdowns from pay, from for half the issue, and then Phil Gozier, I think, does the pencils for um, the other half of the issue, and then he also does the finishes. Tom Palmer does the finishes for the first half and does the inks for the second half, which I don't realize. Uh, okay, finishes inks. I thought they were the same thing. Um, Joe Rosen does the lettering, and Danny Fingeroff, who was the editor at the time, and this was also, I believe, the very last unlimited issue with DeFalco as editor-in-chief. So, anyway, it's basically a cute little story, um, not worth the four bucks that it came, that it was sold for, and it was actually five thirty-five Canadian dollars for uh, Mr. Brandon. Good God. That's Damn. Uh, yeah. Um, it was... It, it was uh, 54 pages long. Uh, yeah, they did have so, that. Uh, they did have a couple of backup stories. Um, 
Was it just one backup story or two backup stories? I think it was. Two. There was there, there there was a few. There was one there was one about cardiac, and then there was one about Mary Jane. Um, and what happens to Mary Jane when Peter goes on his fights? Turns out she sits glued to the TV and prays, and then says, "Thank you, God," when Peter comes out of the fire. Yeah, because she's the damsel in distress, you know. No, because she's uh, his uh, committed relationship partner. No, yeah, that's why she's not married anymore. Oh, Her, his friend with benefits. Oh, jeez. Anyway, but there's several there's several stories in here, none of which are memorable. I mean, Cardiac was the typical classic '90s villain, antihero. I'm sorry. Um, some fairly decent artwork though. I did like the artwork in the uh, Cardiac story. I'm trying to remember who it was. Let me get back there. Bob McCloud is the penciler on that one. And he's not bad. Uh, I didn't know. I liked his Spidey. It, it was pretty good. And then, of course, the third part has got Boomerang and Mary Jane and uh, Phil Gozier. I, I think that's how you say it, Gozier or whatever. It's probably some fancy way of saying it. He's the penciler in the third part, and his artwork's not that bad. I mean, there's just nothing really to take. I mean, I would give this issue probably a, 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 a C. It's just pretty average. There's nothing special about it. The artwork's fairly good, but there's nothing really special about this. What do you guys think? Really? I mean, Peter remembers Chinese food, not Ben. And that's what he's... It's, it's, it's just really getting ridiculous at this point. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, for those who don't know, the story is... Uh, this is supposed to happen in between part one and part two of uh, The Exile Returns. And while Ben is looking for Venom, he has this side adventure with a homeless man. And there's really nothing notable to say. It's just a side adventure. Ben gets involved with the life of a homeless man. He and Peter narrowly miss each other throughout the story. Like, they're both visiting Aunt May at one point, and they don't see each other. Well, Ben sees Peter, but he hides from him. And yeah. it's, it's It feels like there's some pages missing at some points. Like... <laughs> Yeah. Like at one point he's like saving the whole saving the homeless guy and then he's like, I'll be right back, then he changes, then he goes back to fight. I mean the the yeah, sea transitions I, I, are weird. Yeah, that and the, the artwork is very choppy. The, the uh Ron Lim parts are better. Uh the first the first half of the story is better than the last half of the story. And honestly this was just seriously, this was just Tom Lyle getting a story so that way he would get off Danny Finger off. I, I really think that's the reason why they they even published this issue. Was that Tom Lyle was bitching about the fact that he hadn't got a chance to write yet? Um, so they were like, "Okay, we'll give you a trial run on this." And it failed. I mean, it was not a very good book at all. Um, the first story was just not very good. And and, uh, and basically, what Unlimited was, it started off as the first and second, or first and last chapters of Maximum Carnage. Then you had these kind of like these side adventures where uh, there were some pretty good ones, like issue three had the origin of Doctor Octopus. Great issue. Uh, issue four and five, I believe, have Thunderstrike and um, Human Torch. Basically, it was a quarterly book that they gouged you for. For at that point, what was it? Three dollars, four dollars for? They gouged you for the four dollars. It was basically a giant anthology book, and it, it there were, <laughs> there wasn't any memorable stories in this one. I didn't like it very much, and it, most of the time it didn't really tie. I mean, they tried to make this tie into. To uh, Exile Returns, it didn't. Did. It, I, I mean, honestly, it's a C for me. I, I repeat, I'm only going to repeat myself. But Gerard, what's your thoughts? Uh, I want you on this one. Uh, I would say about a C minus. The only one that was uh, the only story of the three that was not terrible, I thought was the Cardiac story because it had the funny sort. But uh, <laughs> not, nothing stands out. Although 
the first story did give me a good laugh because apparently the hobo's name is Rich Gannon, which if you're a NFL fan, you'll know <laughs> quarterback <laughs> Oakland Raiders that took him to the Super Bowl a few years ago. Yeah, uh, well, at that really point, weird. I think he was a nobody. Yeah, uh, I think it was back up to the Vikings or something. Yeah, he, he wasn't he wasn't worth much back then. But go ahead. <laughs> I was like, Rich Gannon's a hobo, but uh, yeah, it was it was terrible script. I mean. Tom Lyle, I don't like him as an artist, but he's really even worse as a writer. Um, yeah. Just, just bad art, bad writing, except for the middle story, which is okay. Well, okay, fun, fun fact about Tom Lyle. He's now a teacher at a university, at, a, at a, I think at an art school. Fun fact. And he, he still does some published work. I think he did a couple X-Men issues a couple of months back. Yeah. It's like he was trying to do an infomercial about homeless people and about like the misconceptions. Of, like, oh, well, you're probably drunk. No, I'm not. Oh, you're just no. I couldn't find a job. I actually have a college degree and got laid off. You see, because homeless people are just like us, only homeless. Uh, the the whole all the smell recurring smell jokes are also really lame. It's like I won't let you in here. You smell bad, and then, but I have like, you stink, and you know, it's like Jesus. Well, buddy, yeah. This was just bad. Uh, so, I mean, this is this is by far the worst issue of the month. I don't care what you're asking. Agree. By far the worst issue of the month. Overall, the month. What do you guys give the grade for the month? I give this. I give this issue an F, and I give the entire month probably a B. Wow. Okay. B. I give this. I give this month. A, I give this month an A because I mean there was only one issue that to me. I mean I gave three A's and a B. Or well, let's see. So I'm going to give this. I'm going to give this a solid A. I'm going to. I'm going to try to ignore the unlimited issue because I don't feel like it really fits. But uh, the, four, the four main court titles, they definitely get definitely get an A from me. Brandon, where do you get your thoughts on the unlimited issue? Um, I didn't find it half bad. Um, I like at the beginning, I thought it was it was an okay issue. Like I think the Tom Lyle issue, like uh, not issue, like part of it was probably better written than some of the ASM stuff coming out now. <laughs> there's our uh, uh, oh, there's, there's our knock on the uh, current direction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't hate the current run. I, I just don't think it's amazing. You know, I think that could be done in a smaller title. I thought they should have kept uh, Friendly Neighborhood and stuff, and I, I could go without the three issues a month, but... Um, I, anyways, I, I didn't find it half bad. I think they could have done more with the hobo if they they like just brought him in and took him out. Like he was just there for a little bit. If they maybe fleshed him out a bit, I could see him becoming something good. But they didn't. So my overall yeah. grade for the issue would probably be a D because I didn't love the backup stories. Okay. So uh, of course I I almost totally forgot about this, but. The one book that came out today, the day we're recording this on Wednesday, is Spider-Man The Clone Saga Part 2. Now, Spider-Man The Clone Saga Part 2 uh, does not immediately pick up where Part 1 left off. Part 1 left off where Peter and Ben are becoming closer and closer friends. We got the mysterious mystery map, which was a hallmark of The Clone Saga. And uh, a really good cover of Ben kind of looking at Peter being like, hey, what's up? Very quickly, you get... Automatically, if you if you didn't pick up the last issue, you just picked up this this uh, second issue. Uh, you pretty much brought speed in a classic '90s way. One of the things that the the writers in the '90s used to do, they used to spend a couple of pages each issue, 
doing a recap, basically, while through the characters in a monologue. And, and th- in this issue, you got Ben, dressed as the Scrawling Spider, fighting Kane, who uh, has not quite appeared in, uh, in uh, our Clone Saga Chronicles look back, but he will appear next next time, or the, the next time we do our look back. Honestly, I mean, the, the art, basically, uh, we got the fight with Kane, we got Ben, and folks... We do have spoilers here, so so if you haven't read the issue, read the issue and then come back to us. <laughs> you got Ben. Pause your to... MP3 player. Yeah, pause your MP3 player, iPod, iPhone, Zoom, or computer. All right, and come back to us. Yeah, here, here's here's some blank space for so you guys don't can know the pause for the spoilers. Darth Vader's Luke's father. The kid, the kid has seen Bruce Willis because Bruce Willis is dead. Rosebud's the guy sled. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 some good uh, spoilers there, buddy. Stephanie Brown. Yeah, Stephanie Brown. <laughs> uh, ben goes to work at the uh, Daily Grind, which uh, we will not we will not touch for a good probably six to eight months <laughs> in our Clone Saga Chronicles look back. But uh, goes to work at the Daily Grind. He's got some blonde hair, and uh, we check in with Aunt May, uh, Mary Jane's mysterious. Uh, we confirm that she is pregnant. And she's having some mysterious illness that's apparently affecting Aunt May as well. The um, we get you know Kane having his patented flashbacks, which we'll we'll explain why later. Flash forwards. Um, yeah, flash forwards. My bad, not flashbacks. We get uh, a really great scene with Peter and Ben getting into costume and and uh, some really good quips there. Uh, Peter and Ben fighting side by side for the very first time. Fighting against Kane, Kane basically leads them into a trap where we meet the mastermind. The mysterious mastermind is no longer the mysterious mastermind because he is the jackal, and they've got thousands of pod clones. So uh, basically, knockout gas that's only that's attuned to Peter Parker's DNA knocks Kane, which basically reveals that Kane's a clone of Peter Parker. Peter Parker and Ben Riley, all three out. They wake up. They're strapped down. Take some blood and a clone of Peter, basically the fourth clone of Peter Parker, which is kind of a homage to the fourth clone of Peter Parker. Uh, and then, of course, the final splash page where Jackal's standing there looking all crazy with his crazy eyes. And um, he's going, I'm going to clone my own personal army of spider-powered Parkers and crown myself king of the world. <laughs> <laughs> so that that's how oh. our issue ends. It's gonna next issue. Uh, we've seen a preview of it, and I believe it leads directly into um, instead of having this kind of there's a several month gap. It seems like um, Ben references that he's been going around as a scrawl spider. He's been in New York for a couple of months, meaning Aunt May's been in a coma for at least a couple of months. Really good artwork again by Todd Knock. I, I believe this is some of his best Spider-Man work that he's done. Uh, ben, I, I would have, if, if honestly, I would have Todd Knock draw a Ben Riley Scarlet Spider book because he's even though he wasn't he wasn't even a part of the Clone Saga, it looks fantastic. To probably the dismay of my good friend George Berryman, the hoodie does exist. It is in this book. Um, and the, it's a white beater on the cover. The artists have taken some liberties on the cover, but uh, it is a hoodie inside the book. <laughs> the best quip ever. Let me get. Let me put to it. Is can I ask you something first? Sure. What's with the hoodie? Hey, it gets the job done. Especially if you aim. And Peter says, 
especially if you aim to paralyze your foes with laughter. Ben goes, you, you done yet? Because you want to take a shot at the Scarlet Spider moniker? Peter goes, it's way too easy. I'll save it for later. Any idea how we find Kane? Nope. He always seems to find me. And then Kane appears. That was my favorite part of the issue. It made me smile. So uh, I'm going... Um, so my thoughts, I'll, I'll go first. Seeing as how I'm, I'm the host of the, band, of the show, damn it. Uh, I love this issue. This is going to get another A from me. I'll give it an A- minus because... I was really, really not thinking that they were going to touch the Maximum Clonage arc. And uh, hopefully this is handled better. <laughs> one of the People really regard that arc as one of the low points of uh, the Clone Saga, and I would happen to agree. So what, well, I'm really, I, I have faith in DeFalco and Mackie, so I'm not going to, you know, res- I'm going to reserve judgment until, the, until this part of the arc. But I, 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 the one good thing I would say is at the speed this arc is moving, this, this miniseries is moving, we might be done with the Maximum Clonage a uh, bit next time, the very next uh, issue. So uh, apparently there's going to be some twists and turns that people weren't expecting, and I, I'm ready for that. The 399 price still hurts a little bit, but it's not as bad. I mean, it's, it's certainly worth my money more so than some of the Avengers books have been lately. So uh, again, I'm going to give it an A. Uh, solid artwork, solid writing. Uh, Bertoni, what do you think? It's dropping down to a C for me from last month's A. Now, I enjoyed it, but... When I had to, unfortunately, it just went down to a C when I had to count up some of the flaws that were unignorable. Now, first of all, if you're picking this up, you would think that you missed an issue. Now, I understand if you think about it that, you know, an issue of Ben dyeing his hair, going to work at the Daily Grind, oh wait, that was actually called Sensational Issue Zero, but I digress, (laughs) kind of would have been a little boring. So I understand that they want to swing right into it, and they have six issues to tell a story, but it's really... I'm glad that this is fast-paced and that it's not Bendis pacing, because I can't stand Bendis pacing in modern-day comics, but it's almost too fast-paced. And even in the 90s and 80s, I mean, the comics weren't exact. I mean... It, it wasn't this much stuff crammed into an issue. Yeah, well, it's not that it's crammed, it's just the pacing of it. I mean, he's already fighting Kane, and in the span of a few pages, it's, oh, I'm fighting Kane. By the way, a bunch of other stuff happened off-panel. Yeah, now, we I, get... I think- I think some people are going to be upset with that. I, I, I won't. I, I liked the pacing, but I, I guess we'll just agree to disagree. Yeah, we don't get the set. By the way, some people are taking the whole uh, the Clone Saga as originally intended a little too literally because they're like, oh, so I guess the Daily Grind and Shirley and Devin and Buzz were always intended in when they planned this. No, no, they're yes, it is as original intended, but they're adding in some other stuff too. Yeah, they're adding in elements, and I, I yeah. think people fail to really kind of fail to realize is it was a skeleton. It, there wasn't any meat to it. Basically, they had a pretty hyper-detailed where they wanted to go from, it, from month to month, and they were, they rolled with it. That's what, but, I mean, yeah, some people are like, oh, why is the Daily Grind there? Because the Daily Grind wasn't supposed to show up to laugh and bail with Spider-Man. Okay, really? <laughs> I agree with Bertoni there. That That's that's one of those things that you just, I'm like, What? No, it, 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 it's done for because that's where that's where they wanted. I, honestly, you know, I don't, I don't see the fact that that's where they wanted to take Ben. And when when they finally took Ben to that point, and remember, coffee shops are popular. Look at Friends. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, if you read the, the Life of Riley stuff, a lot of that later stuff didn't come until way later. Now we have we have a little while till we're even going to get to that on a normal podcast. And one thing that's interesting is. Uh, 
Ben seems to be kind of assimilated with the family. He's friendly with Mary Jane. They're letting the doctor tell them the news in front of him. But yet you still get the sense that Peter doesn't trust him when he's talking about, oh, well, maybe it was Kane who poisoned them. So yeah. I'm not exactly sure. Like um, I think even Michael Bailey said on uh, some other Spider-Man podcast I was listening to that he thought that they became friends too quickly in the first issue. And here it's kind of like on the one hand they're best friends, and on the other hand he's still distrustful. I do love uh, the quipping between them, though. That was great. I'm going to... Now, Kane hates both Peter and Ben, and I guess that's one way of doing it. In the original Clone Saga, he wanted to protect Peter and hurt Ben, and the reason why is because Peter was... He thought Peter was a clone like him, which I'm wondering how Ben felt when he realized that, whoops, he was targeting the wrong guy after all these years, but... (laughs) Oh, well. And the Jackal... Now, look, we... We, as Amazing and Clone Saga readers, we know from the original story how the Jackal survived issue 149. Uh, It does bother me, though, that they don't explain it here. All he says is, oh, I'm a guy who does clones. You think I couldn't survive? And that's kind of all that's left with it. And like Zach, I have a problem with them bringing in maximum clonage, and I hope that they resolve it quickly. They solved the mystery of Kane a lot quicker here than they did in the original saga. And again, they got six issues, so they're getting some of the fat out of the way. Hopefully the next four. I disagree with you thinking that Jackal's the mastermind that Kane's talking to. Because if you look at the hand on that desk, it doesn't look like the Jackal's hand. So, hmm. Some disagreements. Yeah, well, but anyway, see, it's just there's too much happening off-panel. I understand you have to have some stuff happen off-panel, but too much. And it's really maximum clonage. You couldn't have toned it down. Oh, really? Really? <laughs> Really? Okay, yeah. I'm, I'm done. I'm done. Okay. Really? Re- okay. R- really? Really? Uh, okay, okay, okay. Gerard, what do you think? Uh, I'm going to go with Bertoni on this one. I'm going to give it a C. Um, the you failed. Is- You're off the podcast. No. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Well, on the pro side, I did really like the art. Like you said, it was very nice. Uh, beautiful, vibrant color, you know. Um, Knox draws a great Spidey and, and Scarlet Spider and Kane. He draws a really fugly Mary Jane, but luckily she's only in a few pages, so that doesn't really drag it down all that much. Um, it's great to see Peter and Ben working together, as always, especially here where they're really jokey and buddy-buddy and here. I, I like that a lot. Um, the All the subplots move pretty quickly, and there's a lot of witty quips and exchanges and stuff like that, which I enjoy. But uh, like Bertoni said, I think a lot, a little too much happened sort of off camera with, you know, him becoming a spider and Ben and MJ kind of know each other, but does she know he's a clone or does she think he's Peter's cousin? Uh, that didn't really get described all that much. Um, I, I really, really disliked the whole uh, development with the Jackal and all the clones and stuff like that. I, I'll, I'll admit, I've, I haven't read Maximum Clonage in a very, very long time. So I don't remember it all that well. Probably because I've blocked it from my mind to yeah. protect myself. That's going to be a fun that, that, that's <laughs> but, uh, month. That's, that's going to be a fun month. Uh, <laughs> that's yeah, going to be a fun month. Once I saw the pods, I thought, I, I just had to just let out a really loud sigh on the subway on the way back home reading it. Um, and the other thing I really disliked was, was you said you liked the cover. I didn't. Uh, I thought it was the cover after reading the comic. It's a pack of lies. 
I mean, it's describing anything that happens. Like, well, that, well if, we're, if, we're, if we're basing the rest of the series based off the covers, then are we going to see the Gwen clone? Are we going to see the uh, the uh, Dr. Octopus arms? Which makes me believe that Doc Ock's the actual mastermind. Yeah, it's not Jackal. That's certainly... I mean, I think we can all agree based God, on... God, I hope not. If they're using Otherwise, shot. that was a mistake, you know? But um, I don't think it's the Jackal. It's got to be somebody else. Probably either Osborne or Doc Ock. But we'll yeah. see. Uh, so, yeah, see out of me. Osborne! Drink it! It was disappointing after the great first issue to see this one. So, see. Okay, Brandon, what's your thoughts? I give it an A. Woohoo! Um, I give it an A because uh, this is like the best, this is the best Todd Knock artwork I've seen in a Spidey book. Um, I also really like this story, and uh, I guess I would know enough about the Clone Saga not to be confused about what's going on off-panel, kind of, I guess. Uh, but anyway, um, I really liked it. I, I didn't mind that it was completely uh, fast-paced and that everybody's buddy-buddy, but uh, it, it kind of ticked me off at the beginning, but I eased into it, and I was happy with it. Um, maximum Clonage, I'm just glad we didn't see Spider-Side. Because that he's not cool. Let's knock on some wood. That was, by the way, the fourth uh, fourth clone of, of Peter Parker, fourth name clone, Peter Parker. Oh, or third, is that third, him third, at the end? That's the third name. Clone. We don't know yet, and uh, I really, it, it, I really hope that Spider Side. I would, I would cry a little bit on the inside. But he's so awesome, and he's so nineties, and he's a shapeshifter. Yeah. Remember, was water skull. Uh, remember the issue where his head gets punched off and like his head's on the floor and he says, "Oh no, my head's been punched off." Oh wait, I can regrow my body. And I mean, I'm not exaggerating; those may have been his exact words. Yeah. They were. Pretty painful. Pretty. I painful. have the issue. It had a holographic cover. I wanted it. <laughs> <laughs> of course, it had a holographic cover. They all. It's the '90s. I love the '90s. And trading cards. And oh, yeah. Mighty Morphin Power Rangers with Peter Repulsa singing songs. No, no, no! <laughs> anyway, so what's so your grade's an A. Yeah. Oh, um, one thing I wanted to say about Todd Knox's uh, artwork, he draws uh, the costume really, really uh, realistically. Like, um, like there's parts of the costume that just kind of hang off a bit, and that would actually happen if someone was actually wearing the costume. So that was cool. Yeah, nice like, it, like it's like it's actually spandex. Yeah, yeah. Good, good observation. Thank all you. All right, all right, guys. Um, let's give a preview of uh, next edition podcast. Uh, we're not we're not going to go forward with our look back because there's a there's an arc going on in Amazing Spider-Man as we speak that's uh, called Who Is Ben Riley. We'll be reviewing the annual Who is? and. Who is, who is, who is Ben Riley? We'll be reviewing the annual and the amazing issues, which let me get pull out. Not issue. What was the amazing issues, guys? Remind me of six oh eight, six oh nine, six ten. Yes, there it is. Yeah, six oh eight, six six oh nine, six ten. Uh, we'll be reviewing those three issues plus the annual number thirty six, written by Mark Guggenheim, art by Luke Ross, who will come become important later. And uh, what's the other guy? How do you say the other guy's name, guys? Because I've, I've tried. I've spent all the Marco Chichetto? 
Chichetto. Yeah, we'll, we'll say that's how you pronounce it. Chichetto. So uh, if you have not picked that arc up, pick it up. Um, show your support for Ben Riley. <laughs> At least it is Mark Guggenheim's last story arc. He's been he was an inaugural brain or yeah he was an inaugural member of the Brain Trust when they debuted it with Amazing Spider-Man number five forty six. And he's, this is his last arc. So, so uh, show your support for Ben Riley. Pick those up. You can pick those up probably at your local comic shop because inevitably they're going to have a lot laying around. Uh, it, the annual will be a little bit harder to pick up because it's a couple of months, several months old. I think it's like two or three months old. So um, it's not terribly important, but it kind of is the is the prelude to uh, to the arc. Uh, we'll be reviewing that next 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 uh, next time, um, guys. Also, we'll have Spidey to come up by the time, hopefully, Fire! no no later than, than uh, hopefully by the time this podcast comes up. But if not, we'll have it up definitely before the next podcast is even recorded. And oh, the one issue I almost forgot was Web of Spider-Man number one. We'll be redoing that one as well. So uh, check that out next month. And guys, I believe that wraps it up. And one last thing before we wrap it up. The iTunes reviews. Yeah, we've had we've had five guys actually write in the iTunes review. And I meant to do this last time, but we did. Uh, Spiderpool two seven nine uh, <laughs> on October sixth of two thousand nine. He wrote. Uh, he gave us a full five star review. He said, "Way to go, Zach! Glad to see you spread your wings." Now we needs a Kevin led Morbius podcast, a J.R. Green Goblin podcast, a Stella led literature podcast, and we'd be all set. And Bertoni, stop cheating. We know you. <laughs> we know you left the other review. <laughs> Now, uh, to kind of give a re- kind of background on that, um, I do a podcast with Kevin Cushing, J.R. Fettinger, Stella Bowman, Michael Bailey, and Brad Douglas called the uh, Crawl Space Podcast, primarycrawlspace.com podcast. And so uh, that's what he's referencing in the uh, review. But uh, Chances are, if you're listening to this, you know. If you don't know, that's pretty amazing. <laughs> I know, right? That, that, that you found it. How'd you find us? Yeah, I know. I mean, how did you find us? Um, speaking of Kevin Cushing, he's uh, he also left a five-star review. He says, a niche gets its due. This is an excellent podcast for the often underestimated legions of Clone Saga fans out there. If you're, if you're a Spider-Man fan of any kind, there's something to like here. It's some friends talking about a misunderstood era of Spidey history that they love, and they're, they're, and they're very knowledgeable on the subject. It's fun to listen to and informative, and what more can you ask for? Thanks, Kevin. I appreciate it. Uh, at one point, Kevin was going to be a regular member of the podcast, but he's going to be a guest here in several months. Whenever he's actually planning on writing a Kane story, we're gonna we're gonna record that and uh, after the story's out, and give our thoughts and our opinions on it. Um, so he'll, he'll, he will be on the on the on the uh, show later on in a couple of months. I can't tell you when exactly, but he will be on the show. A uh, good friend of mine, a great a great pal, and, and uh, a big he's become slowly become a big Longsock fan. So that's always nice. Um, our friend T S Champ, aka Walter, um, Walter writes a history interview. He also gave us a full five star rating. This this informative podcast is very helpful in giving Spider Man fans information about one of the most discussed eras of Spider Man history. And I will say this: it is probably the most debated, discussed, and talked about history of, of, of Spider Man. Uh, guys, do you agree? Yeah, World War D, probably. The most, yeah, I was oh, about yeah, to say. True. Well, I mean, um, in terms of the amount of years. One of the most controversial. Yeah, it's certainly been one of the most controversial ones. We appreciate every fan that we have. And, uh, 
uh, we encourage you to keep on listening because there are some great parts. I mean, we had obviously this month we had some differing opinions. Um, I'm kind of surprised, but that's that's cool. That's that's why we do the show. So, can you imagine in like 15 years we'll get somebody doing a brand new day, one more day podcast? Yeah, this was so good, and we're like, no, this was made of ass. <laughs> anyway, I'll be the guy saying it's terrible, and everybody else. And this is the first appearance of Carly Cooper. We haven't seen her since uh, six right six hundred and twenty nine. Yeah. And boy, Vin Gonzalez, he was kind of cool before they killed him off. Yeah. And uh, this is and oh, and this issue was the first appearance of Michelle Gonzalez, who of course later became Peter's second wife. Anyway, uh, getting back to our iTunes review, they'll, they'll totally do a Hangover type story where like they wake up in Vegas and he has a ring on his finger. <laughs> Oh no, did we get married? Oh no, <gasps> marriage is bad. Anyway, oh, a, flash, a flashback to my youth, writes R. R. Hagen. It's an excellent show so far, listening to lively conversations about an era of Spider-Man that I'll read and that I read and collected extensively. I eagerly await the forthcoming episodes, and we have at least 27, 28 episodes that, we are, that are planned. We'll, we might have some more after that, but uh, we will be getting... Uh, every single month of, of the Clone Saga reviewed and uh, be easy to access from the uh, from the iTunes site. You can leave a uh, if you don't have iTunes, um, you can leave us a voicemail, which we don't. Do we voicemails this month for Tony? No. Okay. No, no, um, you guys. Okay, so I asked you guys nicely the first time. The second time I begged you. So unfortunately, I'm going to have to resort to other things now. Yeah, you can't see because uh, this, this isn't a video podcast, but we're holding a puppy right now. <laughs> don't kill the puppy. Don't kill the puppy. If you don't want the don't puppy to die, leave, leave a voicemail. <laughs> that's, all, that, that's all I'm saying. You are a terrible person. I, I won't be responsible for what happens. Threatening to kill a puppy on... I don't know if I can be a part of it. I can have a person on my show that's killing puppies, dude. Then you can edit the countless mistakes off of the podcast. <laughs> we don't make mistakes. We're perfect, damn it. Um, I will, I, I'm just not going to edit. I'm going I'm to put out the unedited version. And that's about... No. Wrong podcast. That about wraps it up, guys. I'm Zach Joyner, and you just listened to the number one rated Clone Saga podcast on the interwebs, the Clone Saga Chronicles podcast. So on behalf of my staff for Spidey.com, Bertone, Brandon Gerard, I'm Zach Joyner, and as Stan Lee would say it, Excelsior! All right, on the count of three, let's all do it. One, two, three. Mary Jane!